Hello and welcome to the Light from Light podcast. My name is Daniel and I'm joined nearly always by... <laughs> Brother Thomas Therese, comma, OP. Just just a quick one. Like, well, there has not been one episode that I have not been in, unlike you, Daniel. <laughs> there's, there's been a few where I haven't been. Uh, how have you been? You're the mainstay. You're the mainstay of this podcast. <laughs> uh, well, I don't know about that. You've edited, you've edited them all. You've been very... Very diligent, yeah. <laughs> Much yeah how are you? How's your week been? Yeah, not too bad. How about you? Yeah, it's been it's been good. Are you keeping on top of your essays? Yeah, like that's it. The time is just sort of like taking over as usual. Uh, yeah, I'm all up to date with my essays and stuff. I've got another one that I can be working on, and uh, it's a Christological essay. Um, but mm. uh, yeah, no, good. Yeah, not too bad. Do you get any time off, like midterm? No, we don't. We don't. We don't get anything. So most universities get what's called a reading week in Britain, which is like a week where I mean, it just gives you a bit of time to pause and to have a breather. And you're supposed to be able to do some reading in there. Um, I don't know how many university students actually use it for reading, but it's I, I certainly found it very useful when I was an undergraduate. But the University of Oxford we don't have reading weeks and but then your terms are shorter our terms are shorter yeah so we have an eight week term more concentrated yeah yeah i to be honest i would be very happy with a longer term with more lectures and stuff and with a sort of a more of a break in the middle i'd be much happier with that to be honest that's my yeah, that's my my that's preferred your, thing. Take him after yeah. after these years of study. There's no, <laughs> there is absolutely no reason at all to have an eight week term, but that's just my own, my own thing about the University of Oxford. You know, yeah. Anyway, these things happen. How about you? What have you been up to? Yeah, th- things are good with me. Yeah, um, it's coming to towards the end of term. Well, it's already finished actually. For, not not term, half term. Mm. <laughs> so there's a there's a break with the schools. So the parish gets a little bit quieter for a week or two weeks. Um, but yeah, I'm going away next week. I'm going to Devon. Excellent. One of my sisters' graduation. So they, they both graduated this year and they both did really well. They both did very well, yeah. <laughs> they both did excellently. So and one soon, sister's graduation. Soon you'll and then be graduating, don't they? Oh, happy birthday, Daniel's mum. She's yeah, great. Exactly. She's really nice. <laughs> you um, yeah, you, you will also be uh, graduating in the not too distant future. This time next year, you'll have a master's. From Franciscan well, University in Steubenville, Ohio. Well, let's see. A master's in, in theology. Yeah. Let's see. you got to get through it first. Let's Just got to get through this. Who's it that sang that? Just mm. got to get through this. Oh, I can't remember. Just I'll find out later. Lake. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah. Oh, look at that. Look, look at you, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Anyway, going back to actually references, something you reference a huge amount is is going to be the topic of our discussion today. And that's Saint Dominic. <laughs> ah, Only <that>. joking. <laughs> I thought we didn't spend enough time talking about you, so we'll spend yeah. a whole episode. Just <laughs> you. Oh, no, Saint Dominic. So you often refer to your older brothers in the faith, or uh, sorry, in the order, mm. or you often refer to like your holy father, Saint Dominic. Yeah. So I thought, hmm, let's do uh, let's let's spend an episode on Saint Dominic. Okay, let's see. Let's see how much I can remember. <laughs> <laughs> I'm uh, sure it'll be all right. Excellent. What do you know about St. Dominic, actually? Maybe we should start there. What do you know about St. Dominic? Well, I, do you know, I don't know. I didn't know a huge amount, but I, I did a little bit of reading. And uh, just, just our listeners know, so while we were 
we were practicing a few bits and and while well, sharing what we what we knew about Saint Dominic, I was sharing a few things which I think are probably wrong. So. It's like yeah, no, he he was never a Benedictine. No, 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 he's never that. Yeah, his his name wasn't Dominic. Yes, it was. Yes, it was. <laughs> Yeah, so I, I don't I don't know a huge amount, but I mean, he's a fascinating, fascinating guy. And I think he, I would say uh, he probably shaped the order quite a lot, uh, his, his sort of spirit. He did, although what, what I find quite interesting is that most people, when they think about the order, they think about as being a, an intellectual order and they think about, you know, things that we write and, and various media that we release and everything. But St. Dominic himself, actually, we don't have a great deal that he's written. We don't have great volumes of St. Dominic's sermons. Uh, we don't have sort of great intellectual sort of books that he's written, like St. Thomas Aquinas, for example. Um, which is quite interesting for somebody who founds an order of preachers. Uh, we do have a couple of writings uh, by him. I remember in the novitiate, uh, I think it was, we had a fragment of a letter that he'd written or, or a small part of a, a letter that he'd written to some nuns. Um, and I think he was giving them, uh, uh, he, was, he was talking about penance, I think. Um, so we do have a, a, a one or two sort of small fragmentary sort of things from him. Uh, but for somebody who founded an order of preachers, we don't really have a lot of primary material about what it was that he said when he was preaching. We know that he had mixed success in his preaching uh, missions um, and that he thought that it was vitally important. Uh, obviously, yeah, I mean, founding the founding the order for the preaching of the gospel for the salvation of souls, for the holy preaching. So it's something that he thought was very much needed and not just people to preach, not just people willing to preach the gospel, but people who were educated to preach the gospel, uh, to help people to avoid heresies and then to flourish as human beings, uh, coming into a greater uh, appreciation for and love for God who is truth itself. And that all good things come from God and that all truth uh, is is a gift of the Holy Spirit. Um, so, yeah, I, I, that's something I find funny about him, that we don't have a collection of, say, we don't have a collection of his sermons or great, intele great intellectual treaties that he wrote. I find that quite interesting. So, so Arnie, his preacher, would he have been considered a good preacher? I mean, he had mixed success, but that might not be down to himself. But could it be those that he encountered? Yeah, I mean, certainly, I mean, when you have the parable of the sower, you know, some seed falls on rocky ground and some seed are choked by by weeds and thorns and things. So it's not always the fault of the preacher themselves that their preaching doesn't take root. Um, I, I, wonder, I mean, with St. Dominic, very often when people are talking about him, they talk about his character and what he was like as a person rather than things that he said. There are some things that people claim that he said in the canonization process um, so, for example, when he's dying, uh, he takes ill in a uh, in an abbey, which isn't a, it's not a Dominican priory. And one of the things that he uh, is supposed to have said is that, you know, take me, take me to the Dominican priory um, where I can be buried at the feet of my brethren. Heaven forbid I should be buried anywhere except at the at the feet of my brethren. Um, 
another thing that he that he says on his deathbed is like with many saints that uh, he'll do people far more good he'll do his brethren far more good in heaven than he has on earth um and also he gives a sort of charge to them when he's dying so he tells his brothers to make a treasure out of their poverty and to be charitable to each other and to guard their humility um so these are like little things that we know that he said um but we don't have and he's known as being you know a great preacher of grace um uh, tradition would would say that he uh preaches the mysteries of the rosary and, and is things it, is like that he's also known as being um, a great preacher of mercy yeah he is um uh, he was known for um crying in the in the church for like he, he was found crying in a church saying what would become of poor sinners and uh people would say that he would cry not only uh for those who are here and now sort of you know in difficult situations and things but also for uh also for the lost um uh, that's a, a quite an interesting thing you know isn't there a reflection that you recorded actually yeah there is i can't remember what it's called what's it called do you remember i can't remember which one but the, yeah what are the reflections you you're thinking about that what will become a poor sinners i think you, you reflected on that question oh that's it yeah that's it it's a reflection called uh, what will become of poor sinners and this is yeah so if you go back to that you'll hear a little bit more of the story about saint dominic weeping for sinners and things so he was a man of a man of mercy and patience, kindness, humility, mercy. One of the things that comes up at the canonization trial is exactly this. There are probably about five or six people, I think, whose, whose testimony at the trial of his canonization that we still have. And like a lot of them say he was a very patient man. He was a humble man. He was a man who excelled in charity. He was a man who was very kind. He was a man who was very fair. And then they'll say, but he also practiced penances. Like he didn't sleep in a bed. Sometimes he'd sleep in the church. Sometimes he'd sleep on the floor. When he was dying, he asked to be laid, his body to be laid on the floor. Uh, for example, he fasted a lot. So he was quite austere. He was known to be very thin, uh, which presumably was also because of the of the austere way of life that he lived um but he was also quick also to dispense his brothers if if they feel felt like they needed it so yeah a lot of the sort of ways a lot of his personality might give you an idea of some uh, some of the way in which he preached i would say that the, the rule of life which you uh, stick to now is yeah. sort of marked by that there's there's a lot of leniency there for for brothers as well or within the order you know not just the the rule but within the order within the, the spirit of the brothers together that sort of thing there's a lot of leniency and mercy yeah. towards your fellow brother there is when he is um when he's founding the order like at the time they can't take another the, it, like they're not supposed to create another rule right so then they take the rule of, of blessed augustine and one of the reasons why they do that is precisely because it emphasizes that you're free as children of grace um, and that you obey out of love um, and it also emphasizes unity you know the purpose of you coming together is for unity to live in harmony with the lord and with each other yeah and and also that there is a it's not too long. I think it's probably the shortest rule or certainly one of the shortest rules. And the idea is, yeah, that your children who are free under grace and there have always been dispensations given for as long as the order has been uh, has been going. One of the things that I quite like about our rule is when it says that 
the person who determines whether they need two blankets or not is the person who feels cold. So it's not the prior to sort of say, no, you don't need an extra blanket or an extra pillow or an extra this or whatever. It's for the brother to determine that, you know, in their conscience, what it is that they need and things like that. And sometimes this means that there might be something you really need that you wait until it's pretty much too late before you ask for something uh, out of caution. You know, you don't want to be taking liberties uh, in your freedom. But then there's probably some proactive attentiveness also from from the brothers as well to care for the for your fellow brother. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, if you if you recognize that your brother needs something then. So, for example, sometimes there have been occasions with brothers they'll sort of say, oh, no, 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 I don't need this, I don't need this or something. And I'll make the point to them, you know, if you need it, don't don't think, oh, no, I shouldn't, I shouldn't get this one, I should get another one. Uh, like, if you need it, then do do get it. And I know I'd be the same, you know, I'd, I'd be the same thing. Oh, no, it's fine. You know, it might be a bit broken, but, you know, if you just kick it here and if you push this back in, it'll all be fine. Um, <laughs> Hopefully you're talking about inanimate objects. <laughs> yeah, talking talk, talk, talk about the bed, like, for example, the bed, if you, if you kick the leg back into the bed and if, you know, screw this back in, then it'll be fine. Even though you know that the bed is basically broken. And uh, sometimes it then takes a brother to sort of say to you, no, if you need a new bed, get a new bed. So just thinking back then, so just thinking back to St. Dominic and... And when he was born in his early life, I think there there are a few stories that emerge from his his childhood, which are quite significant. So that there's this story of when uh, his mother, who, who's actually a blessed, blessed Jane of Arza or Joan of Arza, um, so she's a blessed in her own in her own right. But when she is pregnant with Dominic, she makes a pilgrimage, and it's it's said that during this pilgrimage. She experiences many signs of the child that she would bear, you know, the type of child that she's going that's going to be born of her. And one of the most well-known ones is that Blessed Jane had a dream of a dog leaping from her womb with a torch in the dog's mouth. And, the, and then the dog seemed to set fire to, to the earth. And as a result of that, the parents of Dominic named or named their son Dominic, which is, I think I'm right in saying, a play on the words of Dominicanus, the the Lord's dog in Latin, yeah, which is, which is obviously the order then takes up that that sort of name, Dominican, <laughs> which is a play on that word. But I, I remember you telling me that that story before. But it, it sort of uh, it sort of encapsulates that zeal that he had to go out and set fire to the earth for Christ. And then there's there's some other really really nice stories. So. It's said that his family were quite wealthy, that his father was maybe part of the nobility, Spanish nobility, but that Dominic himself, he used the, the wealth he had for good. So this was before the order was founded. Um, there was a, a famine that hit, and it's said that he sold everything he had, including his furniture, including his clothes, including his books as well, manuscripts which he had for study. And there's this really lovely quote which you, you told me about when he was asked why you... Why are you selling the books that you need to study? Can you remember it? Yeah. Would you have me study off these dead skins when I see these living skins dying of hunger? Yeah. So doesn't that show the mercy and, and love of, of yeah, Dominic for other people? His compassion. Yeah, absolutely. His his pursuit of the love of truth doesn't, doesn't mean he forgets the truth about loving his neighbor. Uh, the, these things are not uh, are not separate, you know, they point to each other. 
I mean, it's even said that he attempted to sell himself into slavery twice to obtain the freedom of others. You know, all of this mm, as, a, as a young man um, before the order was founded. Um, yeah, I mean, it's quite quite significant. I think that sort of marks the the rest of his life of his his life as as a preacher. Yeah, I, I think I think actually that's quite an interesting thing. I mean, I I don't know about his family background too much i do know obviously that blessed jane of oz was 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 beatified by uh i think it was leo the 12th in the in the 18 in the 1800s i think but i don't i don't know whether he came from a, a wealthy family or not but that would be very interesting considering uh how seriously he takes poverty in the future st paul um sorry the 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 abbot of st paul of narbonne uh, in in uh, France, who'd preached with him in Languedoc, says that he'd never seen a man who was so humble or so despised the glory of the world and all that belongs to it. I, I, I think it's just such a, a fascinating thing, isn't it? You know, here you have somebody who perhaps maybe did come from a wealthy background, who shunned all, all of uh, all of this wealth and became a, a poor traveling friar. Of course, when he's sort of traveling around the south and he comes into contact with uh, Albigensians. Albigensianism is a is a, a, a heresy um, that believed all sorts of different things. You know, maybe we can have an episode on that at some point, to sort of explain what it is and why why it isn't true. Did you promise that before? I think I think you did. I think you did. Probably, yeah. <laughs> Sorry about that. Yeah, when he was going around there, he saw that there were Cistercians, uh, who I think had been sent by Innocent the Innocent the Third, and yeah, the Cistercians had more extravagant life than the Albigensians who they were preaching against. And he thought that this is why they weren't successful. Well, I suppose just to say that actually the, the heresy of Albigensian was that they um, emphasised that the the material was bad. Yes. That the material things were bad, that the flesh was bad, that the human body itself was fundamentally evil. So those who were enjoying this life and enjoying the material life, which is what's said of the Cistercian monks, that would not combat the heresy very well in the region, which is then what Dominic encountered when he went to that area. Yeah, 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 absolutely, yeah. And Dominic Dominic was very clear that actually the created world is good, that there isn't a, a, there aren't two gods. There's not a good god who is entirely spiritual and a bad god who is entirely uh, physical. It's not that, you know, Satan is, is the equal or equivalent of God in any way, shape or form. And it's not that created matter is intrinsically evil. And it's not that sex is bad because you entrap an immaterial soul within a physical body. Dominic was very clear that physical things are good. And he points to to um, Genesis uh, and and he saw it was good. What he created was good, that God becomes man and takes on flesh, uh, shows that actually uh f- flesh uh is, is redeemed by the lord uh what he did not assume as they say in the early church fathers and and the church councils what he did not su- assume uh he did not redeem but he did assume a human nature and so human nature with all of its physicality and everything is redeemed um so yeah that was part of part of dominic's preaching in the uh in the south and of course and of course the christian faith proclaims the resurrection of the body yeah the resurrection of the body another <laughs> absolutely vital right so st dominic was wondering when he wondered like why they weren't successful he thought it was because of their extravagance and their wealth 
And so he decided that it was important that we have people who are not just educated well, but also people who have shunned that sort of extravagance uh, and that sort of wealth to be a credible witness. Um, so then that that way, when you're preaching Christ, that that you're not putting a barrier in somebody else's way. So maybe to some extent, the Albigensians suffer from a sort of certain scrupulosity uh, about the flesh, uh, about the physical world and things. And Dominic realized that there might be a way in which uh, we can reach them. We might be able to do something which shows them that we are credible witnesses of the gospel to bring them to a more healthy uh, understanding of the Lord and a more uh, and, and a greater understanding of the truth. So how did he do that? Well, he formed an order of preachers, basically. I mean, he goes to the the Fourth Lateran Council, and at the Fourth Lateran Council, it's recommended by uh, Innocent the Third that there are sort of preachers who are well educated, uh, sort of set up. This is the the tenth canon of the uh, Fourth Lateran Council. Uh, that preachers are sort of set up and not hindered in their in their in their mission, uh, and it's for the good of the salvation of souls that they be educated. Now, some people would would opine that Saint Dominic, who was there as a theologian at the council, may have suggested this, and and it sort of it, it sort of passes. But certainly within a year, about so that was twelve fifteen, I think, in twelve sixteen. Uh, in December, Pope, or oh, I'm going to get this wrong now, <laughs> Pope Honorius III, um, Pope Honorius III, not Innocent III, Pope Honorius III establishes the Order of Preachers, and there's a second bull, a second papal edict that comes out early January that establishes for the holy preaching and the salvation of souls a band of, of poor brothers uh, under the leadership of, of St. Dominic uh, by the rule of St. Augustine. And yeah, so the the whole idea really is that they were to be educated well, but they were also supposed to live lives of obedience um, and also li a life which is not ostentatious, right? It's supposed to be not extravagant. So one of the things you told me was that he, they didn't travel by horseback, but they actually traveled by foot. Um, and and then also the one of the other things I remember is that Dominic himself was very well studied. So he studied a number of years, I think something like six years in theology, but also the arts as well. So his his education was very rounded, and I suppose that that's something just from talking to you many times about your education is it's actually quite rounded. You know, there's there's more to it than just the intellectual. Uh, there's there's also all these links of other of other bits and pieces absolutely find anything that you can to be able to reach people and to to uh, reach people on, a, on in a place that they understand and use anything that you can to preach and to teach uh, the, the gospel for the salvation of souls you know which is something that Sir Dominic did in his own life not just through through preaching but also mm, in his yeah. own living out of, of the gospel he very humble in in a way to be able to reach the Albigensians so you probably once that the friars are shodden what does that mean? Oh yes, we are the Shodden Friars, which basically means that we it means that we wear shoes. Uh, so whilst we live 
non-extravagant lives and it's true we don't ride on on horseback because we want to it's important that 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 we are credible witnesses so our poverty really is at the service of showing that we really do believe what we're preaching and what we're saying uh and it and it's about being credible witnesses of Christ's gospel um not just being faithful to the gospel but be also being credible witnesses so that way we can pass it on but one of the things that we were allowed to do is that we were allowed to wear shoes uh, <laughs> for for our walking and things because of course some some places this was not the case some places they they didn't wear they didn't wear shoes because of their because of their poverty but we we did oh, interesting so i got a quiz question for you uh oh there we go. Here we are. I think I'm gonna fall well, this one. I, I didn't know this, but uh, do you know the what Dominic is the patron saint of? I've got three answers here. Oh gosh. One of them is is pretty obvious. If when I tell you, you're like, oh yeah, of course. Okay, so he's probably pat. Oh god, here we go. He's patron of the order. Um, uh, probably. Oh. It's going to be something like St. Michael. St. Michael is like patron of greengrocers and parachuters and things. Go on. What is it? Go on. What is it? Okay. Okay. He's the patron saint of the Dominican Republic. Okay. Yeah. But you know, pretty obvious. He's the, he's apparently the patron of astronomers. Okay. Yeah. I did know that. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And then the innocent who are falsely accused of crimes. Oh, that's interesting. I didn't know that. But I want, would that have been because he, he did some work in the area? I mean, I don't know. Did he, did he help people who were falsely accused i i that's a good question actually um i'm i would have to go and have a, a look that up i certainly know that in the in the i think it's the 19th century or maybe the 20th century there was a dominican in france um who set up a, a house of dominican sisters not necessarily of people who were falsely accused uh, but of people who of women in particular who had been convicted and they become Dominican sisters. Yeah. So that's, yeah, interesting. So obviously, Brother Thomas, the Dominican order here in, in England, the English province is about 800 years old, is it? 800 years old this year? Yes. Yeah, we're celebrating our birthday this year. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and then St. Dominic died around 1221. Yes. So was he involved then with the sending of friars to England? Was he directly involved or indirectly? Absolutely. He was directly involved, yeah. So just before he died, there was a chapter, uh, which is our like our highest form of governance. Uh, there was a chapter in Bologna, and uh, he was present there. And uh, the chapter decided to send uh, Gilbert of Fresne and his companions to England to found the English province. And when they arrived here in, on the Feast of the Assumption in, in 1221, uh, they they found out that Dominic had died, um, so he, he was right at the end of his left. How did the news get here quicker? Uh, <laughs> great question, really, isn't it? You know, pigeon. Uh, <laughs> but <laughs> I mean, that happened. Uh, they flew, yeah, they when, flew when, the news over Telegram. Yeah. <laughs> so he he knew uh, he knew that Dominicans were coming to England to found the province, and um, yes, he he died. Uh, died uh, shortly after we arrived here That's yeah, in 1221. So just on the eve of the, of the English Reformation in England, and um, there, there were quite a few houses. So in that 300-year period... Oh, yeah, we were, the, we were the largest province. Yeah, so in that 300-year period, 
the Dominicans grew and spread rapidly within England. Uh, yeah, th this is something that's actually very interesting. Even do during Dominic's own lifetime, the order grew uh, like very, very quickly. And uh, after Dominic died and his successor, Blessed Jordan of Saxony, uh, was elected, again, the order spread like wildfire. We grew very, very quickly. Uh, I think within within something like 30 years or uh, when was he? Robert Kilwood be elected i can't remember uh sorry appointed mm. i i think within like 30 to 50 years of being in england uh what there was a dominican who became archbishop of canterbury like that's how quick this was like within a generation we had somebody who was in the highest ecclesiastical office in england um and confesses very to kings and all sorts then. yeah huge very we spread very very quickly uh very very popular and on the eve of the reformation we were the largest province i think in terms of houses uh, in Europe and uh, therefore presumably also the world. Just as we draw this episode to a close, I have one, one more question for you, mm -hmm. Brother Thomas. So what would you say is the lasting appeal of St. Dominic and, and the Dominican order? You know, because there's still oh. young men and women who are attracted to the order, who join the order because of, say, like the Dominican spirituality or the, the mission to preach the, the gospel for the salvation of souls. So what would you say is down to that last last appeal? There are many, I would say there are many, as many answers to that as there are Dominicans. Another episode? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what is it that, it that attracts people to become Dominicans? I, I would say in terms of, it's quite interesting in the Dominican order, we don't have the same sort of, not reverence, we do reverence St. Dominic and we, we sing an antiphon to him. Uh, every Tuesday and uh, we we do pray to him and we reverence him we call him our, our holy father Dominic but it's very different to say how the Franciscans talk about St Francis and it's very different to say how the missionaries of charity talk about Mother Teresa we don't always say oh our holy father said or it's it's quite a different relationship that we have to our founder that other orders have because it's about the mission I suppose he didn't write much you know he didn't write much and People didn't write down much that he said. No. Well, Mother Teresa didn't. I mean, people did write down some stuff that Mother Teresa said and perhaps some things that Francis said. But after Francis' death, you have you have a lot of like books about his life written. You don't have that with St. Dominic. Similarly with Mother Teresa and, and things like that, like very often they'll say, oh, Mother used to say, Mother said. And so you have all these stories sort of handed down by oral tradition. Uh, you don't really see the same thing with St. Dominic because it's it's all about the the mission and it's about preaching the gospel for the salvation of souls so i think what attracts people to the order still is that they have a desire to preach the gospel to preach the gospel for the salvation of souls they have a desire uh to seek and to pursue the truth and to give the truth to others to hand on that truth to others and i would say fundamentally that there's a joy which is involved in this and it's that joy really that that i think attracts people in terms of saint dominic himself i think there's a there's a really lovely quote from um, blessed jordan of saxony in his libellius uh where he says that so so he would have known he knew saint, saint dominic, dominic yeah he knew saint dominic and then he followed saint dominic as the master of the order or head of the order yes he was he was the second master of the order and he he said everybody was unfolded in his wide embrace of charity and since he loved everyone everyone loved him he made it his own business to rejoice with those who were rejoicing and to weep with those who wept 
He was full of affection and gave himself utterly to caring for his neighbours and to showing sympathy for the unfortunate. That is what it is essentially which makes Dominic attractive to people. It's not only that he preached the gospel for the salvation of souls, it's that he loved people. And so fundamentally, I think what it is that attracts people to the order is the desire to preach, the desire to follow uh, truth, not just intellectual truth, but truthful ways of living and joy, that joy that comes from knowing Christ and being being a good a good disciple from showing charity to others. Charity is the supreme law in the church. Uh, charity is is what it's all about. And this is why I think people people choose to join any religious order, really, mm. um, whether it be the missionaries of charity or the Franciscans or the Dominicans or the Jesuits, whoever it is. If you want to learn more about St. Dominic and his life, there are a couple of books you can get. So there's a book called St. Dominic, the Story of a Preaching Friar by Donald Gergen, who is a uh, a Dominican from uh, the United States. There's also a book by Bede Jarrett called The Life of St. Dominic. And there's also a very popular and famous book by Vicaire, also called The Life of St. Dominic. But there's... Um, if you can find the, the a, a book called The Lives of the Brethren by Blessed Jordan of Saxony or The Labellius, you will you will find more stories uh, about St. Dominic and his life and the early origins of the order and the and the brethren. There's also a compilation of books called I think it's called Selected Dominican Writings, and that'll also include some of the, the testimony uh, from the canonization of St. Dominic, of people talking about their own personal encounters and experiences of him. Well, thank you very much for joining us for this episode. Uh, please subscribe to the podcast and please share the episode with anyone who might be interested in the life of St. Dominic. And we'll be back soon with another episode. Um, there are reflections normally posted on a Tuesday. Uh, so, yeah, look out for more content to come. So thanks for joining. Bye. God bless.